0: Perks are great, but at the end of the day, people want to grow in their careers. And so almost anybody you talk to would say, I'll trade off some of the perks yeah. for you know, being on a steeper growth curve.
1: We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads,
0: and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge.
1: That's what revolutions do they enable the impossible. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm your host, Kit Bodner, and I'm here today with John Bischke, who is the CEO and co founder of Intello. And we're going to talk about how do you grow your business through recruiting and hiring? One of the most important things that any business has to do is their scaling. So, John, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Kip. Yeah, absolutely. So, we're gonna talk basically all about hiring. We'll get into a little bit about Intello, but what I wanna know first is what are the what are the common mistakes people make when they're trying to bring in talent to their organization? Yeah,
0: I mean, there's there's so
1: many, and we only have
0: a limited <laughs> amount of time exactly, to, to cover right? them. But I mean, I think the first and foremost one is that they simply don't apply enough time or energy to it. So yeah. if you think about how much time people spend recruiting, I mean, the average founder or CEO of a growing company might spend 5 or 10% of their week doing it if they're being honest with themselves, right? Um, the best companies that we see people are spending 30 40 50% of their week on recruiting mm-hmm. and if you're competing with those companies and you're only spending, you know, a few hours a week and they're spending 20 hours a week you're at a disadvantage.
1: What's, so, like, what's the net difference of those things? Like, yeah.
0: what does this, that different uh, allocation of time get you? Know? Totally. So, then the first thing is is front of the funnel sourcing, right? So, mm-hmm. how do you get people in? And that could be directly sourcing, reaching out to people. Yeah. It could be pinging your networks. It could be job board posting. Mean, all the things that you're going to do to get leads, right? Something oh, yeah. you guys are pretty familiar with at HubSpot. Yeah. Um, the second thing is around evaluation, right? So, um, what is your interview process? Many companies don't put people through a thorough enough process and therefore they don't weed out the bad apples and so they make poor quality hires and the final thing and the thing probably that gets most overlooked even though its highest leverage is the close Mm -hmm. and if all you're doing is just putting on an offer letter you know that's that's definitely suboptimal but the companies that we see that do a great job you know they're taking people out to dinner and they're sending you know care packages to the homes and you know they're just doing a lot of things to ensure that when they get that person to the finish line they get that person across
1: yeah it's uh I think what we found is time kills deals, right? And that's not just for sales, but it's in recruiting. Even if you think somebody's bought in, we found that you never know another opportunity or Mm -hmm. sometimes they're really into the opportunity you have, but their spouse gets a job somewhere else and they're, they're out. And it's kind of that first mover Mm-hmm. Uh, situation happen- it makes a big difference yeah and you have to assume that anybody worth hiring has multiple opportunities. Totally. You
0: know, if someone's only looking at you, I'd be a little concerned <laughs> right? So you know the the toughest hires to make are the ones where you know someone is really sought after and that's really when you do have to
1: take it to the next level yeah. and do something that nobody else is doing. Yeah so so you're kind of a serial entrepreneur. you've started a bit, bit a part of the family team of I think three different companies prior to Intello Uh, A lot of them was in the learning space. Mm -hmm. Why... Why recruiting? Like, why? Why why is this problem the right problem to solve?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and it gets back to the genesis of the company. Mm -hmm. So, in 2010, I had a a bit of a sabbatical, a year off between my last company and this company. And during that time, I sat down with a lot of founders and CEOs and executives, and I was always asking them this question around, you know, how how can I help you? You know, what can I do to to help you grow faster? And in those conversations, we always came back to talent. It was always about. You know, I'm not having uh, enough success hiring engineers or hiring salespeople. And so I felt that if all of these companies with great brands and lots of cash <laughs> and cool products are all having the same problem, there yeah. was a business here. Yeah. And so that's really what got me excited. Um, I don't have a lifelong background in HR yeah. or recruiting, so I kind of came in uh, to this industry pretty naive. But I think sometimes that's actually an advantage because you don't know what you can't do. And so we've actually come up with you know, many innovations at Intel that no one in our industry has ever done before. And if I had spent 20 years in, in HR and recruiting, I probably wouldn't have had that same ability to do those things. So I think in many ways, my background um, kind of in adjacencies to talent and recruiting and learning and online um, yeah. training and things like that actually prepared me very well for what we do today.
1: Yeah. And you've kind of, break, you've kind of taken recruiting and put it into two different buckets kind of an inbound recruiting Mm -hmm. bucket which uh so my interpretation is all of the resume is an incoming interest that a company gets in terms of prospective candidates and then outbound which is you know you are actively sourcing and trying to find folks for a specific role tell me a little bit about the two different types of recruiting there and if you're a business owner and you're trying to scale how, should you, how much should you focus on each? Like sure. what should be your kind of distribution of your time there? Totally.
0: Well, the first kind of main takeaway, if there was one from from today, is that recruiting really parallels sales and marketing. Yep. right? So the more Absolutely. advice um, that I give to people really coalesces around one central theme, which is run your recruiting department, run your recruiting like you run your sales and marketing. And so just like most companies don't do only inbound sales or only outbound sales, they do both. Um, you should do the same thing with recruiting. Now, it really breaks down with different roles. So if you're looking at engineering and you're doing inbound recruiting and engineering, you may wait a long time. That's uh, tough, uh, tough. Engineers gig. are not <laughs> doing a lot of uh, uh, applying to work mm-hmm. at different companies. They don't have to because jobs find them. Mm-hmm. So for something like engineering, you have to go outbound. You have to find people. But there are all these other roles that outbound doesn't make as much sense. You know, If you're trying to build, if you're an entrepreneur trying to build a call center and hire 50 people, you know, going out and reaching out to a bunch of people to fill those roles is probably not what you're going to do. So you're more focused on inbound at that point.
1: Okay. So I, I'd also argue with you maybe that there's a third category that especially applies to the founder slash executive team, which is the kind of passive sourcing for top level candidates for mm-hmm. roles that do not exist or are not yet predefined, right? When I sure. think about a lot of the companies that I work with and some of our our challenges even at HubSpot sometimes would be like, oh, we have this awesome idea, this awesome program that we wanna do. And the challenge is like we actually just don't have the right person to lead it. And sure. that's the stopgap yeah. from actually doing it. So if you are a founder or you're mm-hmm. somebody at the management level, how do you think about that kind of passive building a network of really strong talent to tap when those opportunities come in.
0: Well, recruiting just isn't about bringing people outside your building into your building. I think recruiting is also internally finding resources for things. And one of the things that a lot of companies don't do a very good job of is having visibility into the talent pools in their own company. So um, when you're hiring for a startup, one of the things that you should always do is hire people that are versatile, right? You Mm -hmm. will need specialists, of course, certainly as you scale. But early stage companies oftentimes uh, benefit by having people that can play multiple roles. Because if you come into a company, all you can do is one thing, and then the company changes its focus or goes through a pivot, you may be, you know irrelevant so one of the things that you hear a lot about is in the early days it's hire athletes hire people where you can put them on one project and then you can move them to another project our first employee here he did marketing he did customer success he did sales he did product he did recruiting he did basically every job in the company except for for writing code which he actually did last week um, (laughs) just to make sure he completed the circle so people like that are, are really valuable because you are always going to have changing needs. And so I think thinking about that, being deliberate about that when you hire versus just hiring a team of specialists doesn't give you as much flexibility as you scale.
1: Yeah, it seems like the specialists come in throughout the scaling process. There's certain projects, certain aspects of the business where you need deep specialization, whether mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if it's legal compliance or things like that. Totally. There are some aspects where you need deep specialization, yeah. but you're right. Mm-hmm. In a lot more of the general business functions, operations, sales, marketing. Having those athletes that can do a wide totally. range of stuff is super important. So you guys, you know, what I'd love to talk a little bit about is how you think about recruiting for yourselves. So let's be really meta for a minute. Sure. You, uh, I think, have mm-hmm. been pretty public on how you think about recruiting, that you take pride in even really low voluntary attrition rates of mm-hmm. people leaving the company to Uh, take other jobs. So tell me how you do it for you guys. Yeah. Well,
0: it starts out by, you know, we have to be, we have to have a really good team here. Because if you look at our team outside in, and now every team is visible through, you know, LinkedIn and company team pages and things like that. If you looked at our team and you didn't think we had a very good team, Why on earth would you buy our product? Like (laughs) we're helping people recruit. Like we have to be really good at what we do. It's like if if HubSpot had bad marketing. Like why would you buy HubSpot? Right? Like (laughs) it wouldn't make any sense. So we start with with putting an extra degree of emphasis on it because it matters more than just who's in our company. It it, the external perception of our team quality is something that helps us sell the product. So that's that's a starting point. A second thing that's really critical is you have to be very focused on metrics on. How many people are you reaching out to? What are the conversion uh, percentages at each stage of the funnel? Mm-hmm. So just like you'd run a sales or marketing funnel, you'd think about how many new leads do we have, how many of them convert into sales qualified leads, how many of them convert into trials, mm-hmm. whatever your, your funnels are, same thing for recruiting. Be more metrics focused, be more data driven. So we've really tried to do that internally and we've tried to set up and understand, like if we bring in 10 people for an interview, what will that result in in terms of a, an actual employee? Um, if we reach out to 10 people, what will that mean in terms of people that we can actually phone screen? So being much more data-driven is something that we're focusing on. And a lot of our customers are getting there, but their recruiting sophistication lags their sales and marketing sophistication, so they're not as refined with how they think about the recruiting funnel. What do you funnel. think that is? Um, I think recruiters, generally speaking, um, and this is something that we're working on every single day, have not had as sophisticated of technology mm-hmm. to help them manage the process, right? So if you think about what happened with marketing over the last decade, the CMO, the rise of the CMO has been in large part because they have better technology, better yeah. insights, products like HubSpot, right? Um, with recruiting, it's it's lagged. it's legged. And so what I think is starting to change is that recruiters are saying no 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 the cool stuff doesn't just belong to sales and marketing like we want to play as well and so they're demanding better analytics they're demanding more sophisticated uis like the old way of getting things done doesn't work anymore so the new vendors you know companies like intello you know partners of ours like you know lever and greenhouse and smart recruiters right. and some of the job advice, some of these companies are really having to rethink the
1: experience because the old way of getting things done doesn't work anymore So let's move past the kind of the sourcing and the original, like that original connect with the candidate. And just when I think about you all, you were were sitting here in San Francisco talking about this, one of the most competitive talent markets in in the world, maybe the most (laughs) competitive talent market in at least America. So once you get somebody on the hook, like what's the right experience Mm -hmm. that wins the day? That enables you to not just feel good about the person that you're hiring, but also to sell that person totally. and, and get them on board. What's that look like?
0: Well, you have to think about candidate experience from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts with that outbound message, or you know, them applying to your job but every single step along the way, they're going to evaluate you, right? So they're gonna go to Glassdoor and they're gonna look at your company. They're gonna read all the reviews. Like that, almost every candidate that we, you know, have that comes in now, they say, yeah, we looked you up on Glassdoor. It it happens, right? Absolutely. They're gonna Google the company. They're gonna watch interviews with the executive team. They're gonna go to the website. They're gonna do all these things. You need to make sure that Mm -hmm. properly represents your employer brand. The moment they set foot in your office, every interaction is going to influence whether they join your company. So um, one of my favorite companies that I I tracked with recruiting, when they were 70 people, they had four recruiting coordinators, which sounds like way overkill. But it was so important for them to get candidate experience right that they said everything has to be scheduled flawlessly. Every interaction has to be. I mean, The the candidate needs to feel like they are a total VIP Mm -hmm. every time they're on site. And it takes... People to Absolutely. do that. It's a lot so of work. I think a lot of companies end up spending money on recruiting, but don't spend money on candidate experience. And then what happens is, is that they they end up wasting a lot of money because they bring in these people and they get a lot of no's. They get a lot of people opting out of the funnel because the experience is not good. And we've tried to do, and we still have opportunities for improve to improve, no doubt. But we've really tried to make sure that our candidate experience is world class. Because we know that that's one of the things you can control. There are other things you can't control, how much money Google Counter offers, you know, against a candidate, mm-hmm. out of our control, <laughs> yeah, right. But Nothing the experience that. that they have when they come to the office and they interact with people and they see the vibe here, that we have control over. So you focus. And on that the sometimes that weighs the money. It, it absolutely outweighs the money. I mean, we've had so many people say, you know, I joined Intello because this just felt like a more fun place to work. I might have had, you know, the opportunity to have more money somewhere else, but you know, this really felt like a good vibe—the mm-hmm. kind of place I wanted to spend my days. Mm-hmm. And you know, most of the people that we hire, I mean, they could go off and do any of a number of things. They're never going to have to worry about a job because our, our bar is really high, so they do get to choose based on other things other than like feeding their family and paying rent. Like, it gets to be about, no, I want to go to work for a company where I'm going to feel awesome every morning, waking up and, and going to my going to my job.
1: Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about a pet rock that I have. Which, <laughs> so helps what we call pet rocks, like kind of pet project, pet mm-hmm. ideas. One of the things that challenges and frustrates me about the recruiting process is we've talked a lot about identifying the right candidate, delivering a really good candidate experience so that you can get that person on board. And if you draw that to the marketing and sales process, that's basically educating the market, generating lead, getting that person signed up to be a customer. well, if you think about the next step on the marketing and sales side, how do you make that person a happy customer, attainable customer, and know that that's a good customer fit? Uh, I find it really difficult on the recruiting side of things to evaluate, you know, how's the quality of the people we're hiring? Is it going up? Is it staying the same? Did we get impatient? Did we l- lower our bar? How do, we, how do we solve that problem, you think? Yeah.
0: So, you know, we've thought a lot about this because I think at the end of the day, just like with sales and marketing, and customer success or whoever yeah. you want to refer yeah, to it absolutely. after the sale very very similar situation right um just like our customer success team is working to retain as many of our customers as possible we need to work to retain as many of our employees as possible mm-hmm. it makes the job a lot easier on the recruiting team if you have very high employee retention especially when you get the uh, numbers to scale on a company a totally. couple points of employee attrition huge make a huge difference huge so um you have to think about it very much the same way it's why SaaS companies that have high churn really struggle mm-hmm. because they can be pouring in a lot of sales and the top of the funnel and if you've got a leaky bucket you know you're gonna have a lot tougher time getting to where you want to get to so um, I think one of the lessons learned for a lot of companies is be deliberate about hiring whether you want to call it HR or people ops or whatever those people are that take care of your employees after they become employees Mm -hmm. be deliberate about hiring those people earlier Mm -hmm. perhaps hire more senior people than you think you need because the impact that they'll have on employee attrition and on the satisfaction of your team is very high. Just like you do MPS surveys on your customers, do MPS surveys on your employees. Understand on a week-by-week or month-by-month basis are they happy? Are they engaged? What's working? What's not working? Um, that dialogue is so critical inside the company. And then just like you pick up the phone and call a customer and say, how's it going? Do the same thing with your team. You know, I meet obviously with my reports very regularly, but I do random skip levels throughout the organization. I do brown bags with the teams. I always want to make sure that the teams know and the individuals on those teams know that they can come to me with questions, concerns, You know, all hands Q&A, whatever it might be, whatever the vehicle is. To be able to get feedback so this is where again the analogy between sales and marketing really works because what you would do with your customers to retain them once they become customers
1: you should go at least to that level with your employees and i'd I'd argue you should go much further so that's about improving taking the awesome candidate experience you deliver and making that Mm -hmm. kind of consistent through the employee experience but let's say you're a hiring manager and how do you know that the last five people you hired were better than the five people before yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, is there, is there a, a way to do a, that? It's like, a great question. Um, well, one of the things we always talk with, about,
0: we always talk about you know, hire above average, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, not everybody you hire is going to be the best person that you hire for your team. If that's the bar, you won't hire a lot of people, right? But when we think about bringing someone in, the next engineer we hire should be above the average of the current existing team. The next salesperson we hire should be based on all the data that we have above the average of of the sales team and if you keep that bar at you know at or above you know the average then your team just gets better with time most companies don't do that um the how do you know is tricky with sales it's easy right you can look at the numbers in salesforce and you can say you know a higher percentage of our new hires are beating quota than you know than the older hires were um not as easy with other parts of your department so you know what we really like to do is to try to figure out you know how do we quantify more things inside the company much easier with sales much easier with customer success than for example, you know, engineering or product. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more that you can apply metrics and goals to the organization, the better off you are.
1: Got it. When we think about, Canada. we we'll go back to Canada experience a little bit, you know, when you have high demand, it creates different perks and different things that companies are trying to offer. How, how are we seeing that change out in the marketplace? Uh, and are there like crazy things that candidates that either coming in to Intello or maybe some of your customers that, uh, that people are just asking for more and more outrageous things these days? Or how, what's that look like? Yeah, I think we're a more level headed startup than
0: most, um, especially <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> we don't have a lot of crazy, crazy perks. Um, we've, we ran the company in the first few years off of a relatively small amount of capital. Yeah. So by doing that, we kept our DNA one as, as um, one of being lean being scrappy, not over extending ourselves. Yeah. Um, now we're a larger company, You know, we have a nicer office, we have things that we didn't have when we were five people in an apartment in the mission. Um, but we're really still trying to keep that same DNA intact. So if someone does come into the organization, and you know they don't want to work here because we don't have three foosball tables and four ping pong tables they're not the right fit for us they're not thinking about the business the right way Um, and i think that lean scrappy dna has really served us because in an up market you know all of the accolades go to the fastest growing company and the one that raised the most money at the biggest valuation but in a sideways or a down market, oftentimes it's the s- companies that can survive yeah. that are the ones that get the, the accolades. And the company that's lean, the company that doesn't have the high burn rate, that doesn't spend money on stupid stuff, talent actually flocks to those companies yeah. because they don't want to work for the company with a massive burn that's going to go out of business in six months. Yeah. So I think that, that, what, um, that what you do on that front says a lot about who you are. And we've been very deliberate about the fact that we're not going to spend as much money as other companies. um, But that can be a strategic advantage at times.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost going counter to it. You know, if you think about it, you're deciding that, you know, what stands out here is the company. Not exactly. the other stuff, right? Totally. And if you want to do something great, then you should you're gonna to want to be a part of this regardless. Totally. Care about your customers,
0: else. care about your employees, let the other stuff take care of itself and really focus on the growth and development of your team. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where you know perks are great, but at the end of the day, people want to grow in their careers. And so almost anybody you talk to would say, I'll trade off some of the perks yeah. for you know being on a steeper growth curve, for learning more stuff. And so we're always trying to prioritize learning and development and training over, you know, the stacks in the office.
1: Yeah, and to go with that, like something you said earlier was interesting that most companies don't have a great insight into the talent pool within their own companies. And when you have a, a talent base that wants to grow and wants to achieve things in their career, there's a big disconnect there because mm-hmm. you maybe not be able to assess, hey, I've got this open role, and actually instead of going outside the organization, there's somebody in the organization that is actually a really good fit for it. How do we, how do we think about... Solving that problem and getting better insight into that issue.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that comes through um, the teams being tightly interconnected, and people on the teams always looking for opportunities. So when you sit down with your manager, with your boss, um, that person is looking out for your best interest, not for their best interest. If you're, you know, running a sales team or running a marketing team, you want to keep everyone on your team, right? Because you, that helps you hit your goals. But if you look at someone in your team and you say this person's actually very well suited for another team, I may take a step back by suggesting that, that she go over to a different team, but I'm helping the company out. And I think it's, it's putting the company above your team that's a really critical factor that you know, some people don't do. So um, I would say that's a really key thing in the equation is you'd much rather lose someone from your team, a good person from your team to a different team mm-hmm. than lose a good person from your company. Yeah. If your
1: priorities are in the right place, yeah, if you have the folks on your team solving for the company Exactly. Cute. what is the what's the worst interview or candidate experience that you personally ever had to go through in your career oh, like you don't have to call out the company but like <laughs> i want to i want to hear about like what that experience well, was like the The funny
0: thing is is that. I have never really interviewed for a job, <laughs> so gonna I'm, I'm an not answer. sure that I, I'm the like. I started my first company when I was when I was 22. Um, <laughs> I had one job for for just a very brief window of time coming out of college. Um, so I don't really have a lot from from my perspective. Um, but we hear does this uh, mean you're not a good employee? I'm definitely not a employee, <laughs> right? Um, hopefully, it doesn't come back to haunt me later in my life. But I, I think that that we hear of these horror stories. A lot and I think the key thing that I hear with without kind of calling out a specific name or company is the the lack of follow-through right literally where some people will and I've heard this story way more often than than I thought I would get into this business where people will literally go apply for a job and they'll go and they'll interview on site and then they won't hear back (laughs) like it's not even like a black hole no it's a black hole and when that happens you're just like mind blown (sighs) like that is the worst thing you could possibly do. And word spreads, you know, and especially with stuff like Glassdoor now and things like that. It's, it's really changed the accountability. Changed the, I think the for accountability. Employers. So um, so we really think about not just you're always going to solve for the people you want to hire, yeah. solve for the people you don't hire. Because if you do a good job with Canada Experience with those people, they'll refer the best people in their network and those may be your next hires. So I think that's a key lesson that most people overlook.
1: So you've, you've commented before that one of the things that you always ask in interviews is, what do you hope to do after Intello? So we wanna ask you, what is it that you wanna do after Intello? Well, you know, one of the things that I have thought about,
0: and this is I think the challenge with every entrepreneur, is you you start a business, and if it's successful, you're gonna run that business for five, seven, 10, I mean, when did, you know, Brian started HubSpot, like, years ago. 10 years ago, right? So you get to do one thing for the next 10 years, and during that period of time, You inevitably have these ideas for these other companies you want to start, but you can't do it because you're committed to this one company. So, I've always thought a fascinating thing one day would be to somehow have a model where you could literally start companies in in parallel um, every time you had a new idea. And it's not being a VC, because a VC has to wait till ideas come to them, but it's also not founding one company and just running with it. So, if you could start 10 companies in parallel, you know what would that look like not maybe all at the same time but like start a company and then next year and there, there's a guy um that i've spent a bit of time with uh kevin ryan who started guilt group and business insider and TenGen, and he's got two new companies and so <laughs> i picked his brain i'm like how did you do that yeah, like, how, does work, how does this all work how does this all work because yeah. like that would be something that i think would be very interesting to me yeah. because i've got the blueprint for starting companies i've started four that i'll admit to and a bunch more that i won't um <laughs> and like i got that blueprint down but i think the only thing if i was going to point to something that like is less than awesome about my job is that i can't do anything else right yeah. so if i have an awesome idea tomorrow i just have to sit on it you know or hope that like some entrepreneur grabs it and comes to me and says angel invest but even that's not the same mm-hmm. thing so i think that ability to like do things in parallel a little bit more than i, I can would be how, how did kevin do it well uh, his playbook. I'm not sure much of it I can unveil. But like you know, he gets <laughs> in and he's like the CEO for like a year, but he's pretty deliberate with people that he's not gonna be the CEO forever and he yeah. plans to hand the reins over. And I think, but I think that's a trick it's a easier that's thing to hard. do. It's hard. And it's an easier thing to do when you've been Kevin and you like basically were the reason why DoubleClick was successful and, you know, I didn't have that track record and maybe, you know, Until it goes public one day or, you know, sells for a billion dollars and then maybe I'll have that street credit, yeah. be able to go out and tell a VC, hey look, I'm gonna do this for a year and then I'm gonna like not do it anymore. I'm gonna turn <laughs> the reins over to somebody else, and they still invest, yeah. um, which certainly would not have been the case with <laughs> the Telo. So awesome. uh, we'll see how it works out. But
1: uh, I think that's a pretty fascinating opportunity. That's really cool. That's a, it's a that's a. I think that's a, you just described one of the downsides of being an entrepreneur is yeah. the commitment. You have to involved be super there. focused, and most yeah. people
0: can't do that. You know, most people it's can't hard. do one thing for for you know ten years you know of their life. Like it's just it's yeah. tricky, especially given how intense it is. And so company. many people that are relying on you, totally, right? Totally, that's totally. Tough. And you, you know, having down days and down weeks, like it's really tough to do that. So, I think that's an interesting thing that more people would want to do, but
1: very few people can accomplish. Perfect, John. Thanks for your time today. Yep, this was great. Thanks for listening to our show. As always, we would love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think by leaving a review on iTunes.